0: Magic and magical people. The unnatural order is all around you. Most mortals ignore the obvious signs, trying to hide behind rationality and science. What you don't realize is that we exist within rationality and science, just at a level you don't understand. Yet. I am Gabriella, and this is a story of my champion, Harry Strange.
1: I drove as fast as the old F. coop could go, kicking up dirt and gravel behind me. I was hoping that there weren't any flatties out giving tickets to speeders because I didn't know what I'd do if someone tried to delay me. I pulled into the driveway. The lights were on and nothing appeared to be broken. I know that Quinn had some early warning alarms he installed himself, but my faith in Quinn's products was less than my faith in Vale's ability to kill. I couldn't shake the image of Roscoe. His legs shook in the dance of death as blood pumped from his throat. Roscoe had reached up and tried to stop the blood by putting his hands around his neck. His last act, before closing his eyes forever, was to look at me and mouth the words, Your fault. I put the parking brake on and jumped out of the car, the thirty-eight pointing in front of me. (laughs) Moving to the left and right, clearing each room. I reached the dining room and kicked the door, leveling my gun at the dining room table.
2: Romeo!
3: What are you doing?
1: Put the gun down! Maddie, Quinn, are you okay?
3: Well, I was until you burst in here waving your gun around.
1: I'm sorry. I dropped the gun on the floor and ran to Maddie, scooping her out of the chair and giving her a bear hug. I was so worried about you, I thought that... You're okay. That's all that matters. I don't know what I'd do if anything happened to you.
3: It's okay, hun.
4: Nothing's happened to me. What about me? Don't I get a hug?
1: Come here, big brother. I'm sure that Mildred thought she had walked into an asylum when she saw us all hugging together.
3: I trust then that you saw my uncle and the results were poor?
1: I've learned many things today, Maddie, but the most important thing is the clarification of how I feel about you. No, shh. Don't say anything yet. Maddie, will you marry me? Now let me tell you something. When a man asks a woman to marry him, that pause between the question and the answer is the longest time ever. In one second, a man's mind races through all the possible answers and his possible responses. That moment seemed to take forever. Yes. Wonderful. And I've already picked out a place to live. You have? Where? Dad's boat, about ten miles out. Is Father Picote still alive?
4: Dad's boat? That hasn't been beyond the dock in years. And Father Picote was ancient when we were children. I doubt he is still alive.
1: But Father Picote was. And the boat was fine. With a little help from us, mostly my genius brother Quinn, Maddie and I were married in the fall, September. Quinn and I spent the time from June to September building an arsenal of vampire weapons. Guns with loads designed to kill vamps, an automatic stake launcher, and a host of other weapons and alarm systems. We had everything we needed without ever needing to return to the city. We docked from time to time to hunt or replenish supplies. I believed as long as we kept the boat moving at night, even if it were just with the current in the open sea, it'd keep Maddie safe. That year, we celebrated New Year's Eve off the coast of New York. We toasted each other and hoped for a better year for everyone. In February, the police found the body of Victor Nero in the office of Jake Roscoe. Someone had strangled Nero and cut his throat. A few days later, they found Roscoe's rotting corpse in a culvert near Quinn's house. Suspicion fell on yours truly. After a long discussion, Maddie, Quinn, and I decided that I should talk to Police Lieutenant Adams. He and I were old friends, and I was sure he would give me the benefit of the doubt. Quinn had also discovered that there was a Jesuit group that specialized in taking care of what we started calling the Unnaturals.
4: L'Ordine del Pugnale el Crucifiso. The Order of the Dagger on the Cross. They've been at this since the 1700s. When you get the stuff cleared up with the police, we should probably contact them.
1: I agreed. As much as I loved living on the boat with Maddie, At some point, we were going to have to square off against Vale. I'd need all the help I could get. I drove off to Lieutenant Adams' house and waited for him to come home. It was about 5.30 when I saw his car pull in. I made sure no other cars were coming to meet him, and I stepped out of the woods where I had parked. He was startled. Chase,
4: where the hell have you been? It's complicated. You think? I have a division of men out looking for you. What the hell happened to Roscoe and Nero? It wasn't me. I know that. But the Chief and DA, well, they have other opinions.
1: This is going to sound crazy. Have you ever heard of Vale Pierre of him? Yeah, his name's been
4: popping up quite a bit lately.
1: Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. You know, I barely drank and I'm not a dope fiend.
4: I hate stories that start like this, Chase. But I'm listening.
1: So I told him everything I knew, even the unnatural part. We sat on his front stoop as the sun set in the west. He excused himself once to get us both a couple of beers. He took notes and occasionally asked for more detail. When I finished, he didn't say anything.
4: (sighs) I don't know what to say to that, Chase. I mean, vampires? Blood rights.
1: I know exactly how it sounds, Lieutenant Adams, but I swear every word of it is true.
4: It's a lot to accept. You want me to believe that you killed two vampires at the ink spot? No, I killed one of them. With the leg of a chair? Well, it was on fire. Oh, I see. Bullets can't kill them, but burning chair legs can. Doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: I haven't worked that out either. But that's how it happened. I don't know, Chase. It's... Where was the church veil used? Adams, how many times are we going to go over this? I gave you the address. Wait. You sandbagged me, didn't you?
4: Sit down, Chase. I have just a few more questions. How
1: I- stupid could I be? It was when you went in to get beers, wasn't it?
4: Well, what do you expect, Chase? You've been missing for months. Your partner and client turn up dead, the niece is missing, and suddenly you show up with this fairy tale story of vampires and blood drinkers. You need to come downtown with us.
1: No, I don't.
4: I, I can't. Don't run, Chase. Things are bad enough for you.
1: I ran into the woods. Adam's threatening to shoot. I doubted that he would. He may not have believed every word, but he knew there was some truth to what I said. The other cops followed me into the woods. They wouldn't kill me, but if they caught me, I could count on a few broken bones. My car was parked in the woods, but by the time I got to it, the flatties had it surrounded. Night was falling, and I didn't want to be away from Maddie overnight. I either had to act now or wait for the coppers at my car to go to sleep. I snuck up behind the car and tossed a stone into the woods. Now I've learned a lot of things since that night. Things that would turn your hair white. But one thing that remains constant is that the stone thing rarely works. Luckily, tonight was one of the times it did. Sort of. One of the cops heard it and motioned for the other one to stay behind. I waited for the other to get out of earshot. I raced back to the boat and saw it docked. That was bad. Quinn and I agreed that the boat would never be docked after dark. I jumped out of the car, gun drawn, and stepped onto the boat. I went below deck to my bedroom. Maddie was gone. Tables and chairs were overturned. Our bed was cut down the center. I kicked in the bathroom door and saw blood on the mirror. I went upstairs to the wheelhouse. I ducked behind the corner, my head and gun peeking around at the same time. I found Quinn. His throat was still intact, but someone had gutted him. Literally. He was laying in his own viscera and blood. I lifted him and held him in my arms.
4: It was the vamps. They took Maddie. Said you'll never find her. I'm a warning. (coughs) In the lab. Vamp kit. Take it. Get them.
1: Oh, I'll get them. Every one of them. Rest now, brother. Save. Quinn had thought of everything for this vampire kit. I lit the stick of dynamite and jumped back into the churchyard. The explosion rocked the ground and shattered the windows of the cars parked nearby. I stepped inside the door and, without waiting for the smoke to clear, I started shooting. I could hear screams of some of my shots from the targets. These were not regular bullets. These were Quinn's special blends. The loads were so powerful that my arms were getting tired just from the kick. I heard a vamp drop in behind me. I whirled and fired. Its head exploded. Another vamp grabbed me, its fingernails cutting into my throat. I reloaded and pointed both guns behind my back and fired three times in succession. I turned to face the female vamp, only this time she looked like a regular woman, no red eyes or fangs. I hesitated and felt something cold slip into my stomach. I looked down. She'd driven a battle sword into me. When I looked up at her, she smiled and licked her lips.
3: Val's not here, but he said you'd come. Now you're our entertainment.
1: I unloaded both clips into her. Her blood splattered on me. My vision was starting to get fuzzy. Two more vamps appeared as I was reloading. One went for my throat, but I spun and he caught my arm instead. I started firing, killing two more of them. I ran and jumped into the organ pit. It would have been bad if there were any vamps in there waiting for me. As it was, the pit was empty. I pulled a stick of dynamite out of my bag. My vision was almost gone now and my hands were shaking. I lit the fuse and held the stick in my hand, giving the vamps a chance to get close. As things started to go black, I tossed the stick. The explosion was wondrous. It may have been a few moments or a few hours, but... When I opened my eyes again, all I could see was white. There wasn't an up or down, left or right, just white. Then I heard a voice, and the most beautiful woman in the world appeared. I don't mean beautiful in a Victoria's Secret's model sort of way. I mean just love, spiritual, psychological, unconditional. The love we can only feel in the presence of someone who has seen the face of God.
0: Romeo. Romeo Chase.
1: What? Who are you?
0: I am Gabriella. You know me as an archangel of the Creator. Am I dead? You're in a complicated place, neither here nor there.
1: I'm in purgatory?
0: I've been watching you for some time, Romeo Chase. Your motives are pure and your wrath is fierce. You're not unlike the angels. The difference is you do things for love with the limitations of a mortal.
1: I'm not sure I understand.
0: I watch and love all humans, but because of your devotion to a single woman, you, among all humans, have become my favorite. You sacrificed everything for love. You came here, armed only with passion and some simple weapons to destroy an ancient race of demons. You are impressive, Romeo Chase.
1: But I failed. The one I wanted to kill was gone.
0: He's not that far. You may yet catch him. Am I dead? You are on the cusp, and I offer you a choice. You can move on now and enter what you would call paradise. Or you could return to earth as my favorite and continue to fight mortal and immortal evil. In exchange, I will bless you with perpetual healing. Nothing mortal or immortal will be able to kill you, but you will feel pain and need time to rejuvenate. With that and your natural skills, you will be my champion. Mind this, if you accept, there will be deeds, heinous deeds, that you will have to do in my name. But at the end, you will reach divine providence, salvation. What is your choice, Romeo Chase?
1: Will I be able to go after Vale?
0: Even as my favorite, you still possess free will.
1: I accepted Gabriella's offer, but it was too late for Mattie. About a year later, I found her already turned and, well. You know the rest.
5: But when did you change your name? How did you...
1: When I woke up, I was in the morgue, already toe-tagged. As far as the cops were concerned, I murdered Nero, Roscoe, and a church full of the faithful. I had also punched out a cop and left him tied and pantless in the woods. Romeo Chase was a one-man crime wave. If my corpse turned up missing, the police wouldn't rest until they found it, dead or alive. So I found another stiff who was about the same age as me and put my toe-tag on him. Remember, this was 1932. No computers. All the work was done by pen and paper. I put on a lab tech's jacket and walked out of the morgue with the dead guy's toe tag in my pocket. The tag said H. Strange. I just assumed it was Harry, but it could have been Hamilton or Horatio.
5: I have so many questions.
1: And there isn't time for any of them. I held the scepter up in the air and thought about where I wanted to go. I watched in silence as Carmen faded away. For a moment, I thought about staying, giving up my quest for death, my obsession with the vampire, and staying with Carmen. We could go somewhere, an island, Fiji maybe, and drop off the grid. Carmen and I could live happily ever after. We would be happy. All I had to do was drop the scepter.
6: The Galactic Football League series is available in print for your e-reader and his audiobooks at scottsigler.com gfl.
7: He was raised to hate non-humans, taught how to kill the five alien races with his bare hands. Quentin Barnes doesn't want to be a soldier. He wants to be a quarterback, the greatest to have ever played the game and to be the best he has to play the best and the best teams are mixed species with receivers that jump 25 feet into the air and linebackers that literally want to eat you in a league that spans light years where organized crime runs every franchise where football has become so brutal that stats not only track yards and completions but this- Quentin Barnes must learn to lead a team filled with the same races he's been taught to hate. New York Times
6: best-selling author Scott Sigler presents the Galactic Football League Series. Available at Amazon.com and at all formats at scottsigler.com GFL. Doctor, I need to see her while it's still fresh in her mind.
2: You can try, Lieutenant Johnson, but I don't think her answers will make any sense.
6: I'll take that chance. I need answers, Doctor. I'm not entirely comfortable. Doc, I have eight bodies. Six of those with their teeth filed into fangs. Oh, and did I mention some of them were decapitated? I need to
2: see her. As I understand it, she wasn't on the boat. She was floating on the opposite side of the dock.
6: Yeah, along with two other bodies. The entire marina was up in flames, yet she survived. She knows what happened, and I need to talk to her.
5: I had just stepped out of the hotel shower when the news report started.
3: This is a follow-up to our story this morning about the massacre at the Barnacle Inn Hotel in St. Augustine, Florida. Police have put out an APB for this man, Harry Strange. His car, shown here in the surveillance camera footage, can be clearly seen leaving the hotel parking lot while the police are fighting the gang who invaded the hotel late last night. The following footage, from a police dashboard camera, shows someone we assume it's Mr. Strange, getting into a black 1974 Monte Carlo. Unfortunately, the driver of the car is not visible in any of the pictures. Earlier, we reported that at least seven police officers were attacked and killed overnight by members of a vampire cult. At least 14 guests were also murdered, and the desk clerk, Catherine Bodeep, is missing. The dead policemen are... I
5: switched off the TV and went to the window. It was a typical sunny day on the southern Georgia coast. From the window the sun bounced off a few clean spots on Harry's Monte Carlo. As far as I could tell, no one had made the connection between the all-points bulletin and Harry's car. Harry himself was gone, and I wasn't sure if I was going to see him again. My next course of action was difficult. I knew Harry loved his car. What is it with guys and old cars? Personally... I thought the Monte Carlo should have been allowed a decent burial years, decades ago. But then again, after learning about Harry, I could see his attachment to relics, considering he was one as well.
6: Miss Strega, what do you mean Harry's a relic? He's not much older than I am.
5: Dr. Strega. Dr. Carmen Strega. Why is that so hard for everyone to remember?
6: I'm sorry, Dr. Strega. Shh.
5: Just listen. I don't know how much longer I'm going to stay awake. I'll explain as much as I can. Harry was already gone off to fight Vale. I know it sounds crazy, but Vale is a vampire who killed Harry's wife years ago. Thing was, Harry didn't know where Vale was, so I didn't know where Harry was going. So I couldn't warn him that the cops were out looking for him. I went to his car and took everything that was left in it. A trunk full of swords... Guns, salt, and lighters.
6: Why would Strange carry so much salt? We cataloged what you had. It was over 20 pounds.
5: That's what he uses to capture and kill demons and evil spirits. I think that's enough. She's well into fantasy land now.
6: No, please. Let her continue. Are you up to this?
5: I'm getting a little woozy, but I think I can continue. Why am I wrapped like a mummy?
2: You have second-degree burns over most of your body and the bandages will help minimize the chance of infection.
5: That's right. It's funny. Almost everything is picture clear in my mind except for after the marina.
2: It's to be expected. Your body's undergone a great deal of trauma, though lucky for you, the blast blew you into the water. Otherwise,
6: I'd like to get back to what happened before the painkillers take her away.
5: I dialed Harry's cell phone. It went off on the other bed. The big goofball forgot to take it with him. After I realized I hadn't any way of reaching Harry, I called a cab and asked them to meet me at the fast food place across from the hotel. They said it would take about 30 minutes for them to get to me. I reached into my bag and took out some special herbs and a little bit of Harry's hair that I kept for just such an occasion. Using the microwave in the room and some hot water, I mixed up a special location elixir, While that was cooking, I found a copy of the Yellow Pages phone book and opened it up to the U.S. map. I brushed my hair and finished packing. I still had twenty minutes before the cab got there. The microwave bell rang. I took out the elixir and put a little between my fingers and thumb and tossed it on the map page in the phone book. Nothing. That was strange. Then I remembered that the scepter was cloaking Harry. Cloaking is just changing Harry's visibility along certain frequencies— much like a device that hides cars from police radar. However, I am quite clever when it comes to science and magic, so I adjusted the potion slightly. This time, the herbs congregated near Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I started to book a flight to Pennsylvania when the herbs shifted to the ocean off the coast of Night Falls. I waited this time. The herbs shifted again, this time going east until they were off the map. About ten minutes later, they went back to their spot by nightfalls. Harry was using the scepter and doing a lot of traveling. I gathered up my materials and tossed them into my travel bag. I used the phone to check out and booked it over to the restaurant. It wasn't until I was on my flight to nightfalls that it occurred to me that the white herbs I used to identify Harry had turned red.
1: My stomach was still rolling like a tennis ball being played with by an overactive puppy when the marina came into view. I'd never get used to traveling by the scepter of Estrada. I leaned against the building and waited for the birds in my head to stop chirping. Something about this marina was familiar. Son of a... This was the Night Falls Marina. Vale had taken the battle to my backyard. When I psychically told the scepter I wanted to find Vale, I didn't realize it would be here. Regardless, I was here to kill him.
3: I want you to capture Vale and deliver him to me. He is living on a houseboat named the Immortal. Do not, under any circumstances, kill him. I will take him to hell, where I can deal with him in my <laughs> own special way.
1: Lilith was also thoughtful enough to give me three of the stones of Solomon that would hide me from any unnaturals. I don't think she knew I had the scepter, the device that held all seven stones. The last stone, ironically, belonged to Vale. This was going to be a big day, and I needed to get busy. I reached into my little black duffel bag and took out a specially loaded C4 charge. I attached it to the base of Vale's boat. These little blasters had two detonators, one that I could trigger and the other that would detonate at midnight. I figured that if I were killed, they'd haul anchor to get as far away from here as possible. If that happened, come midnight, they'd get a nasty surprise of fire and salt two things the vamps detested. For a minute, I thought about just blowing the C4s now. I could take out everyone on the yacht and they'd never know it hit them. But that wouldn't be any fun, would it? I needed to see Vale's face when I drove the stake into him. I wanted to feel his blood oozing on my hand the way a butcher feels the blood of a slaughtered calf. I shook my head to shatter that image. One of the drawbacks of using the scepter is that it slowly starts getting into your head and changing things and not in a good way. One of Vale's little pets spotted me. I sniffed the air and didn't smell anything bad, so I assumed he was human. I drew a silenced and modified three fifty-seven and fired once. He may have seen the flash before he went down. My aim was true and the shot caught him in the throat. He fell forward, almost into my arms. I holstered my weapon, took out the scepter, and put the duffel on my back. I picked up the familiar and thought about where I wanted to take him. You'd think that would get easier. Glad I didn't eat anything before I left. I dropped the familiar on the ground. I envied him because he didn't have to take the return trip. I pitied him because the order didn't take kindly to humans who took up with vampires or demons. A tall figure in a brown robe approached me. His hood covered his head and about half of his face. It peeked over his nose, giving it an almost heart-like shape on his head. Around his waist was a rope that had a knot the size of a fist every couple of inches. The rope tied in the front and one piece ran down his leg, almost touching the floor. The knots were tied with military precision. His boots echoed in the small alcove. Brother Strange, is this the first of many visits tonight? I've spoken to the bishop and he assured me that everything is ready. It is. Who is this poor soul? I don't know his name, but he's been cavorting with vampires. He's in need of your assistance. It seems like he's been cavorting with the bottle. No, that's my handiwork. He should sleep most of the night. We have a special room for him. I will take him there. Good night, Brother Strange. Good night, Brother Sandini. The birds were chirping again. This time, I swore I could see them. The brothers of the order would either deprogram the familiar I had just dropped off, or they'd... Well, either way, he wouldn't be a bitch boy for any more demons. The yacht was heavily guarded. Soon they'd realize one of their pets was missing, and they'd move to high alert. Thanks to the scepter, I was cloaked from the unnaturals, but the naturals might be a bit of a problem. I had five shots of Trank left in my three fifty-seven. After that, it'd be either heavy regular loads or my sword severing their spinal cords. I wanted to avoid that, only because of the attention it'd bring to me. On the other hand, seeing some of the heads roll through their own goo would be somewhat soothing. I've heard that a decapitated head still has some awareness. I wonder what that feels like, knowing your body is three feet away from your brain. I may have to do a little experimenting before the night is out. I was holding the scepter by my side and thinking about chopping off Vale's head when I felt the gun in my back. You're the one the master told us to watch for. He put his hand on my shoulder. I still wasn't used to this, but it was really bad for Monkey Boy. He dropped his gun and I kicked it away from him. We both watched it tumble from the rusty catwalk we stood on into the molten steel below. Where are we? Shut up, bag. I want to show you something. I grabbed him by his collar and spun to the rail. Even at this range, the heat was oppressive and we were both sweating. He was about to sweat a little more. Do you see that down there? Do you know what it is? It's a blast furnace. It's over 2,500 degrees. Do you know what that would do to you? I, I... I-I-I... Shut up. That'd cook you like a pig on a spit. The only way your family would be able to tell it was you would be from the DNA they scraped out of the pot. Maybe. If I were to drag you down there and put your foot in that molten steel, it'd melt like a chocolate bunny in a microwave. Tiny particles of liquid steel were hitting us. One of them ignited his sleeve. It's burning! Put it out! It's burning! Really? You think that's hot? I pushed him over the rail so that his feet were barely touching the ground. I could smell his fear and it was intoxicating. Because let me tell you something, monkey boy, this is nothing compared to the fire that will roast you in hell. Let's get a closer look. I pushed him and I off the ledge. He was screaming all the way down. I thought about where we were going next. another deposit brother strange it's going to be a long night brother sandini this time i went to the front of the boat behind the wheelhouse all the familiars were at the back near the dock they were looking for their two partners i still had five shots and there were eight of them pity while they were walking i entered the wheelhouse from the side Once inside, I locked the door. It wouldn't hold long, but it'd slow them down. I turned and came face to face with a halfling. We stood looking at each other. I wasn't sure if she could see me or if she just thought she saw something out of the corner of her eye. Her fangs were short, almost baby teeth, but she was far enough along the human-to-vampire process that she shouldn't see me, and yet she looked like she was aware of my presence. My hand tightened on my gun, the one with the full loads. If I shot her at this range, the blast would blow her apart and let the others know I was here. We continued to look at each other, she in her bikini, me in my trench coat and black duffel. The halfling squinted her eyes, trying to make out something. She shook her head and turned around. From the back, the bikini revealed much. I followed her below deck, keeping a safe distance. There was another halfling standing in front of a door. Bikini girl pointed in my direction and I moved to the side of the hall. Not that there was a lot of places to hide. The halfling guarding the door touched a button on a desk and sprinklers started. They both looked in my direction. I drew my crossbow and stakes from my duffel bag. They continued to stare. I could only imagine what it looked like from their angle as a stake appeared out of nowhere and struck the girl on the chest. She was dead before she could comprehend what happened. The other halfling was fast. She jumped to where I was standing before her friend hit the ground. I fired the second stake into her eye. I pulled a sword from my bag. I wasn't taking any chances. I brought the sword down on the neck of the first one, the one in the bikini, and watched her head roll away. The door upstairs began shaking. A third halfling appeared and I swung my sword at her. She raised her arms to try and block the swing. A scream like nails on a blackboard escaped her throat as I cut through her fingers. They fell on either side of her head. I drew back the sword. She jumped up and pushed me back. Her throat was bleeding, but she was still strong. Her fangs flashed under the lights as she snapped at me. Her hands grabbed, but without fingers, she was unable to get a grip on my collar. I kept stepping backwards, trying to get some swinging room, but she stayed right with me. I think she was trying to box me in between her and the door. I dropped the sword and pulled out my modified forty-five. The halfling pushed my arms up with the nubs of her hands. God, she was strong. Fingers or no. I pointed the gun down and fired. Everything below her right shoulder disappeared in a red haze of blood, skin, and bone. She still kept coming. We were getting very close to the door. She pushed forward, close enough that I could smell her breath and feel her spittle. I tilted my gun slightly to the left and fired again. Her head exploded like a water balloon filled with goo and gore. The door was almost behind me. The humans were kicking it open. I placed a C4 charge and ran back down the hall. I picked up the sword. The first splinter of the door flew by me. The humans started to enter and I turned and fired. Screw the Tranks. These guys wanted to be soldiers for the vampires? Then they would get to die like soldiers. They knew the life they chose. Two of the familiars got close enough to get my bag. My sword was in a sheath on my back and the scepter was in a harness around my waist. There were other useful supplies in the duffel, but even I wasn't strong enough to win a tug-of-war against all of them. I released the bag and fired twice into the familiar's chest. The explosions from the barrow echoed painfully in the little hallway. The floor was becoming slippery from the blood and goo. I backpedaled, firing into the familiars. There were two familiars left when I heard the click of an empty gun. I kicked in the door to the back room. This was an empty chamber leading to another door. Someone hit me hard from behind and I tumbled forward, the sword dropping from my hand. I turned and the tip of my blade touched my throat. It reeked of blood and flesh. I was looking into the eyes of an Asian woman, her black hair framing a sickly pale face. Her eyes were dilated and bloodshot. Her lips were unnaturally red. All I could think about was taking the sword out of her hand and cutting her into chum for the sharks. The thought of that filled me with such glee that I started to chuckle.
6: You find this funny.
1: As a matter of fact, Fortune Cookie, just thinking about what's going to happen to you is making me all giddy inside. I slowly began to get to my feet. I felt anger and rage that this little witch dared to interfere with me.
6: Now it's my turn to laugh. I know what is going to happen to me. Great rewards. You, on the other hand.
1: She lashed out with a sword, cutting long, but not deep into my forehead. Ow! It hurts! What would you do that for?
6: No, Mr. Strange. That doesn't hurt. That's merely a little wound. The first of a thousand more.
1: She lunged forward. I was faster than she expected, and I turned with her blade. Instead of sticking my shoulder, she caught the outside of my jacket. She was quick on the return.
6: You are very fast, Mr. Strange.
1: You have me at a disadvantage. I don't know your name. All I could think about was thrusting her face into the spinning blades of the ship's motor. I shook my head. Those were not my thoughts. There was something in the scepter.
6: You may call me by the name my mother gave me, or you may call me Death!
1: On the word Death, she swung. I was able to pull my head back and turn, but the tip of the blade cut through my cheek. I think I'd prefer the name your mother gave you.
6: Niton. Is it true that I can cut off your hand and you would grow another?
1: She tapped my hand with the sword. Why don't you give it a shot, you stupid Chinese bitch? Maytan swung, but she telegraphed her move. I stepped into the swing and turned so my back was facing her front. With one hand, I grabbed the hilt of the sword, while with my other elbow, I smashed her nose. (laughs) The sound of her cartilage crunching was like the sound of gravel under my feet. I hit her again just to hear that sound. She didn't release her sword. I hit her again, and again. She moved one hand off the sword and I assumed it was to grab my hair. Instead, I felt something stab into my back. I used all of my strength and struck one last time, my elbow to her face. She released the sword and tumbled backwards against the wall. She was never going to be pretty again. In one motion, I swung the sword around. I didn't know if the look of surprise on her face was from the knowledge that she had lost or that her head was no longer attached. It took her body a second or two before it collapsed to the ground. I leaned against the wall. I reached behind me and found the dagger Natan used sticking about halfway out. Luckily, my trench coat had taken the brunt of the damage. I pulled the dagger out. The blood loss would be rough, but it worked to my advantage. I picked up the sword and kicked open the door to the last room. It was time for Vale to die. The room was empty. The boat's engine started. No, no. Vale was not driving this tug out to sea. We'd played this scene before. I raced back upstairs, running past the gore of Natan and the human familiars. One of them was still moving. I opened the door to the deck. It was dusk, and that was the only reason I was able to get the drop on Vale as easily as I did. Well, that and the scepter. He was bent over, removing one of the lines that had skiered the boat to the dock. I could have cut off his head and ended it right there. Instead, I waited for the door to slam shut and step to the left. Vale was up and grabbing at the air in front of the door.
7: I know you're there, Strange, or should I say Romeo? It was Romeo Chase, right?
1: What was your tramp's name? Mary? Maggie? Something with an M, right? He kept grasping at nothing, and I kept staying out of his reach. He was sniffing the air, trying to get my scent. With the blood seeping out of my side, it shouldn't take too long.
7: (laughs) It doesn't really matter, though. She was just a blood bag to me. I was going to marry her. She would have been queen of my colony, but you had to ruin her. You thought you were so clever. Taking her innocence. Thinking that would stop me. Here's the funny thing, Chase. Or strange, or whatever name you tried to hide behind. I didn't care about her at all. I just turned her to prove there wasn't anything you could do to save her. Your brother? Well, I killed him just for fun. He cried for his life like a little girl. He was a faggot, wasn't he? Didn't you always have to protect him? How did it feel knowing you couldn't protect the two people you loved most in the entire world?
1: It felt a lot like this, bloodsucker. I lunged with the sword, cutting nicely across his neck. But he was fast, and able to pull away before I was more than halfway through. So I swung at his leg. As he was falling, I pulled him back below deck. He tumbled down the steps. He hit the ground and started to stand, and I cut into the back of his leg. You could hear his hamstring snap like a rubber band. He fell to a kneeling position on the ground. What? No changing into a bat? I guess that only happens on television. This is a bad day for you, Vale. Know why? What? Speak up! You know, with that big old gash in the side of your throat, you sort of look like a Pez dispenser. You will die with the taste of your own blood in your mouth. I hit him on the head with the hilt of the sword. Shut up! Do you know why today is a bad day? Because normally I'd just kill a maggot-infested, soulless vampire like you and send them off to nothingness. But you see, this scepter of Ostrada... This sort of gets into your head and amplifies the bad things. I don't even know if it's the bad things so much as the powerful thoughts. What. Are. You. Shut up, I'm talking. The scepter. Somewhere. Somewhere. Either on you or down in that stinking worm-filled rot you call a bed is the seventh stone. I want it. I know vamps can heal, but you haven't any idea how much damage I'm capable of delivering between twilight and dark. There isn't any way you're walking off this yacht. He opened his mouth to speak and closed it. You know what else the scepter gives me the power to do? I can go places. You and I can go places together. In the blink of an eye, I can take you somewhere. The sun is just coming up. Here, let me show you.
3: Ah!
1: You're such a little Nancy. We were only there for a second. See? Look, the fire's already going out. It was quite comical, actually. The top of his head was still smoking. Now, if you want to live, tell me where the seventh stone is.
7: <laughs>
1: you see something funny, bloodsucker?
7: You... You pompous piece of hairless monkey flesh you can muzzle me into giving you anything? My work is complete. I destroyed your wife, your brother, and now you. You've become like me, a killer who follows his own motivation and answers to no one. What's the body count tonight, strange? How many halflings and humans did you kill just to get to me? You're no different than me. You treat human and demon the same, with contempt. And why not? You're above them. You're mortal. Or something
1: like it. We should be working together. Ruling this planet. I was standing behind him so he never saw it coming.
2: Ah! Oh!
1: <laughs> I raised the sword again, and this time I cut off his left foot at the ankle. Ah! The difference between you and I, bloodsucker, is that I only killed the bad guys. Your little human familiars, they knew that siding with you was evil. And as far as your halflings, they were a breath away from damnation anyway.
7: And you presume to judge them. When did you
1: become a god? I'm not a god. God has mercy. I have vengeance. I stood in front of Vale so he could see it coming. This is for Quinn, Maddie, and the thousands of other brothers, wives, mothers, girlfriends, boyfriends. Every human your presence has offended. I started to swing the sword to his throat. The look on his face wasn't fear or remorse. It was surprise. I could live with that. Then she appeared out of nowhere and grabbed my hand.
3: Harry, that is enough. I said I wanted him alive. Or undead.
7: I can't believe I'm happy to see you, Lilith. This crazy monkey has lost his mind. Let's kill him together.
3: Shut up, maggot sucker. Harry, we had an arrangement.
1: And what are you going to do, Lil? Call the cops? What arrangement? What are you talking
7: about?
3: You were just supposed to find and bring him to me. This whole medieval torture thing is kinky. I do applaud your enthusiasm, but enough fun time. I'll take it from here.
7: Uh, I don't think so, Lilith. Listen, monkey boy, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. You want the stone, it's yours, but, but you don't give me to
1: Lilith. You know what, bloodsucker? I'm tired of you. You said I was a killer like you. Actually, I'm more the avenging angel type. Say goodnight, Vale.
3: Harry, No!
1: Now, what were you saying, Lilith? Oh, that's right, our arrangement. I altered it. But don't worry. I have a lovely consolation prize for you.
3: Do tell, Mr. Strange.
1: Right there, on Vale's left hand. A rock to knock your socks off. The big undead fellow wore the seventh stone of Solomon like a piece of jewelry. Now, when I take it off his finger and drop it into the scepter...
3: I've never seen anything of such beauty. Those colors. Mm, The heat. It's... it's...
1: It's a terrifying wonder. I can feel the power coursing through me. I feel stronger and more aware than I've ever been. I feel the grass and the ground. I can see everything. I hear everything. I see your little ghoul sneaking up behind me, but it doesn't matter. Because with just a thought, he explodes into
3: nothingness. Can't blame a girl for trying.
1: I would have been disappointed if you didn't. With just a thought, I can make time stop or speed up. I can go back and change the past.
3: Yes, Harry. You are as a god. We could rule the world. All the worlds and all the realms. Mm, Feel that power. That's what it's like to be a god. An immortal. Mmm. You enjoy it, don't you? I can smell it in your veins. Let's go together, Harry.
1: We could change history.
3: That's right, Harry. Imagine it. You and I the world worshipping us, doing our bidding. You could kill Vale a thousand times. Imagine the power. Kiss me, Harry. Let's seal the deal.
1: You're right. I have that power. But I don't need you because I command the scepter. My life force is imprinted with the scepter. Just being near it gives me the power of a god. You, darling, evil little Lilith, are irrelevant.
3: What? You can't do this to me. Those stones are mine. I command you to give them to me.
1: You cannot command me. You're like an insect before me. I could will you out of reality. No, it's time for Harry to do something for Harry. I'm going to exercise a little of my free will and go back in time to save Mattie. I can do that because I'm transcendent. There isn't anything I can't do, is there? Answer me, Lilith.
3: How dare you?
1: You have to answer me. I will it. it makes you angry, doesn't it?
3: Of course it does. A hairless ape like you... Having that much power, it should be mine. Three of those stones are mine.
1: You gave them to me of your own free will.
3: I loaned them to you. You should return them.
1: They're part of the Scepter of Estrada now. But don't be angry, Lilith. I'm going to give you the scepter.
3: Don't con me, Harry.
1: That's the consolation prize. I'm going to go back to 1932 and bring my wife back. Once I have Maddie, none of this will matter. None of this will have happened. The scepter will be yours. Of course, you'll have to find it somewhere in time. The question for me is how far back do I need to go to save Maddie? Her uncle can never get involved with vampires. But can I be sure that happens?
3: I can help you, Harry.
1: What do you mean?
3: What kind of girl would I be if I gave it away before I got paid?
1: What do you have in mind?
3: Hand me the scepter.
1: You're going to need to do better than that.
3: Give me your word. Tell me that you will give me the scepter once you've brought back Maddie, and you're convinced she is safe. I don't... A normal life with the woman you love. You would have had children, a boy and a girl. You'll have grandchildren and... Well, I really shouldn't say anything more. Spoilers and all. If you try, though, you should be able to see it.
1: I can. I can see the life I might have had if not for Vale.
3: Do we have a deal? We do. Then let's seal it. With a kiss.
1: With a kiss it is.
5: I ran down the dock searching for Vale's boat, the immortal. I didn't have far to look. I saw the fireball rise out of Vale's boat. Harry! The heat hit me and I felt my skin start to burn. A moment later, the blast pushed me into the
0: water. Across the sea, in a special cell designed by the Brothers of the Order of the Dagger and Cross, a confused demon awakes and, before she blinks twice, knows she has been tricked. Her screams echo throughout the bowels of the Abbey. Ah! No one hears her, except for an unlucky rat whose head burst at the volume and tone of her scream. In another section of the Abbey, One hundred men kneel in their daily devotion, praying that they have the strength to carry on in the coming war and stand strong against the temptations the demon below is sure to throw at them. And finally, in a special tomb near Old Jerusalem, my champion waits for me. Harry Strange, you are not looking well.
1: It's... the scepter. It's powerful. Even now and here... In this holy place, it calls to me. I've seen things. The beginning and the end. Horrible things that haven't happened yet. I can't force those visions from my eyes.
0: Where is the scepter?
1: Buried. In the back of this tomb. Wrapped in the shroud, but... It's eating at me. Sucking my strength. I know it's back there on the temptation to use...
0: Harry... Speak to me.
1: Uh, I'll be fine. Scepter, it's also kept me alive these past weeks. The cherubim are coming.
0: You contacted the cherubim.
1: They're the only angels pure enough to enter this tomb.
0: I am well aware that only humans or the most innocent of angels can enter the tomb of Joseph. I don't know if you're very brave or very foolish... Not many of my kind would reach out to the cherubim. My favorite, step out here and I will take guard of the scepter. Give it to me and I'll keep it safe until the cherubim arrive.
1: I could use a break. But no, your love is pure, Gabriella. I'll not soil that love with the corruption of the scepter. I'll wait for the cherubim.
0: You would deny me the scepter. I, who granted you near immortality... I have chosen my champion well. And so we waited, my champion and I, for the cherubim to arrive. And when they did, neither my favorite nor I were able to look upon them, so great was their light. When I was able to see again, I checked the tomb and found the scepter, and my champion were gone.
5: It's been six months since the event at the marina. I haven't seen or heard from Harry in that time. The police are convinced that the remains they had in the morgue were Harry's, and I'm beginning to believe them. Of course, they refuse to release the results of the DNA sample to me or the press. I still come into Harry's office every day, just hoping against hope that he'll walk through the door. Though that seems a little less likely every day. Maybe Harry made it to his divine providence after all. I jumped up. Holding the sword of diamonds in front of me. A second later, the inner office door slammed open, rattling glasses on the desk. You gotta help me, Carmen! Finny, what are you doing here? What happened to your face? It was those crazy demon girls! They cut me! This is all your partner's fault! Where is he? Calm down, Finny! Sit down! I can't! They're gonna kill me because of Strange! And they're coming for you, too! Where is Strange?
2: Tonight's episode, Harry Strange One Sixteen, The Blink of an Eye, was written and directed by Tony Sirechia and produced by Brianne Ahern. All material is copyright by Tony Sirechia and used with his permission. Featured in tonight's cast were Tish Sistrong Parleme, Ray Salterelli, Sylvia Gallon, Kellen Stenett, Persa Johnson, Jason Tyler, Casey Morgan, H. Key Lyons, Eli Hirschman, Brie Ahern, William Graves, and Alvin Macon. Harry's opening theme music was written and performed by Lance Hogan and is copyright Lance Hogan and used with his permission. Contact Lance in his email, which is hoganl at yahoo.com. Incidental music was written and performed by Kevin McLeod and is copyrighted by Kevin McLeod and used with his permission. Visiting Incompetech.com for more of Kevin's music. To keep up with the latest news and information on everyone's private investigator, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash harrystrangeradio. Send your questions, comments, and suggestions to producer at harrystrange.com. And this is Tony Sarecki. I just wanted to thank all of you um, on behalf of the cast and crew and production team and our marketing team. I want to thank all of you, our listeners, for making our first season just absolutely incredible. We've been nominated for all sorts of different awards. um, That We will be posting the status of those as we move forward through the summer. We are going to be getting ready for season two. We're going to start recording that in just a couple of weeks. We're going to do some contests over the summer, so make sure that you keep watching our Facebook page. Thank you, guys, because you know we all do that. We do this because we enjoy it. We love it. But you, the listeners, are what make the circuit complete. So once again, thank you, and we hope you look forward to hearing us next season. Thanks. Bye.